Welcome to Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. And I'm Matt Henry. And today we have another episode in that series on spiritual motivators. This time it's going to be fellowship. The whole idea behind this uh, series is what are ways we can help ourselves and others be motivated to press on in faithfulness in the Christian life. Um, this one uh, is especially good since we're in the beginning of 2022, and each of you are making decisions that will set you upon a path over the next year. Um, it's, it's very common for Christians to think about resolutions and such at this time of the year, and if that's you, then what better resolution than to strive forward and upward in your spiritual life? Um, as always, we encourage you to listen to these little episodes, though, with someone else or even a small group, um, and then discuss what's heard and perhaps learned. So today, what we're going to do is briefly get into the idea of uh, actually a subject I believe is misunderstood by most people, and that's the idea of Christian fellowship. And if we do our job rightly, then you will understand better how it is critical in your spiritual formation as well as your maturation. So first, We'll just talk quickly about the term. The term is one that many of you have heard. It's koinonia. Uh, so Freiburg's lexicon it says that this term is first uh, uh, as a relationship characterizing by sharing in common fellowship or participation, or second as giving so that others can share or, or generosity. Uh, the BDAG, that's Browner Drive, no. Uh, yeah, Driver and Gingrich or something. Something like that, yeah. yeah. Um, a, a well-known Greek lexicon. It, it, the first, it has four different parts to it. The first is close association involving mutual interests and sharing, association, communion, fellowship, or close relationship. A second uh, way it can be used is an attitude of goodwill that manifests an interest in a close relationship or generosity, or fellow feeling, or altruism, an abstract for concrete, it's an abstract term for a concrete sign of fellowship, proof of brotherly unity, uh, or even a gift or contribution. Then finally, it's participation and sharing. Now, as an aside, when you learn biblical Greek, which is almost which almost all of the New Testament is written in, you discover that it's called Koine Greek. Um, and it's actually the common or shared language that arose from Alexander the Greek. So that, that idea of Koine Greek is also where we get the word that's connected to the word koinonia or that sharing. Um, so in Acts 2.42, it says this, that the early church were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. But the construction of the passage is actually quite interesting, worth a, a, just a tad of exploration. The ESV actually translates it a bit better uh, by saying the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. They add that word the because it's there in the Greek. Um, it's a very specific activity 
that the church did. It wasn't just some vague sharing. So we don't you. I, it wasn't just that they had fellowship. They actually participated in what's known as the fellowship. The rest of the verse then goes on like this, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And that's how people know it. Um, they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. But actually, likely, those final two descriptions, breaking of bread and prayers, is an explanation of what Luke meant by the fellowship. So what was the fellowship they did? They shared in the breaking of bread, and and not just prayers, but the prayers, a very specific set of prayers. So we tend to think of fellowship as hanging out with friends, having coffee, various conversations, and we say, wow, we, we really had a good fellowship. Um, many of you perhaps have a room in your church that's called the fellowship hall, but the actual idea of Christian fellowship involves a very close re- a sharing of certain common activities and ideas. And that is what we want to develop in the rest of the episode. And so we're going to give you eight different aspects of proper, true Christian fellowship. Um, by the way, B-Dag, Bauer, Danker, Art, and Gingrich. <sighs> Danker. I knew it wasn't Driver. That's, he's the, uh, the Hebrew one. Hebrew one. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, nah, that's Hebrew. Yeah. Uh, is that Hallett or something? Nah, that's no, something else. It's Browner. That doesn't matter. Okay. Um, <laughs> like, they're all like, fast forward. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll get someone correcting us. I know it. Um, so, first of all, number one, we, we would say that uh, what is fellowship? Uh, it is a sharing of our mutual faith in Jesus Christ through the Lord's Supper and prayer, Acts 2.42. So, fellowship, as we already mentioned, is more defined uh, here um, uh, than we tend to define it. The structure of the passage makes the Lord's Supper and prayer function as an expression of what is meant by the fellowship. So this is this is rather limiting to our minds, but it is worth noting and considering. Remember that Luke is describing a specific fellowship since he includes their, uh, the article with the term, uh, the definite article, the. Um, there are many ways people share life, and we see it every day, sports, activities, clubs, hobbies, uh, and, and and various things like that, and they become a place of fellowship. But what we want you to understand is that is not Christian fellowship. But but they ha- that's there fellowship. is a fellowship, right? They share in those common activities. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 family is another example of fellowship. There, there's a sharing and partnering that begins with with marriage, and that extends to children uh, in the most intimate of ways. You share all things, at least if, if you are wise, uh, but it's not still Christian fellowship. For the early church, the fellowship, uh, the sharing and uh, partnership was seen in consistently gathering together to receive the, the teaching and to remember the Lord's death and to pray. It makes fellowship not just that vague experience, but instead grounds it in the saving work of Jesus Christ. The, the prayers are built around the triune God, praying to the Father through the Son in the power of the Spirit. Uh, and this is key because the idea of fellowship is first a relationship and sharing between God and his children. And then from that, it is uh, his children sharing with one another. Yeah, so I think of... Uh a fellow pastor, Grayson Gilbert, he's got the course in the chaos. And one of his favorite things he likes to poke the bear in his memes is some way or another saying, go to church. <laughs> and every time he does that, um, he gets all these people being offended. 
and and yet they don't understand that whatever they think Christian fellowship is, um, the Bible s- establishes it within that shared teaching and breaking of the bread and prayers that are conducted as a group. And, and you can't do that if you're not there. And you're certainly not, and I hate to break it to you guys, if you're sitting in, at home watching it because your church still does live stream as well, don't think that you're having fellowship. You're passively there. Yeah, or um, because you've developed some uh, relationships on the internet with people and yeah. through social media where you're just talking about Christian things. That also is not inherently no fellowship defined by Scripture. All right, so second... Um, and this is a key. Uh, there is an intimacy of relationship with Jesus Christ. So this is what we see in 1 Corinthians 1.9. He writes, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship. With whom? With his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. In verse 9, then, faithful is actually in the emphatic position. Faithful is God. How, can, how, how we came into the fellowship is actually due to God's faithfulness. How? Well, God was faithful to his Old Testament promises. He was faithful to his son to raise him from the grave. He was faithful to redeem us from our helpless condition. And so Paul describes it this way regarding Gentiles. He says in Ephesians 2.13, But now in Christ Jesus, you, the Gentile, who were formerly far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So though once you and I were far off, now we're actually brought near, not just to God, but, but well, the Father, but to his Son. God's faithfulness literally brings us into a fellowship with his Son. And so now we're called the children of God. So the idea here is with the term is not merely a shared experience. It's much, much more and much better. We now become partakers, or as one commentator said, uh, a shareholder as sons. And the reason is due to our union now with Jesus Christ. We're, we're, we're now in Christ. Because of this, we now participate. We have koinonia in all that is Christ. This is the part that's just mind-blowing. Because God was faithful, he places us in Christ, and now we share or have fellowship with all that is Christ. So his death becomes our death. That's Romans 6, right? We've died with Christ. Uh, His life is our life. We will be raised because of Christ. Our inheritance is his inheritance. We're safe. In fact, we're eternally safe because of this fellowship that flows from the utter, incredible, infinite faithfulness of the Father. And that, beloved, is pretty darn cool. Yeah. Uh, Third, there's an intimacy of relationship uh, with and through the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 13, 13. Uh, Paul says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Uh, that's a very Trinitarian <laughs> yeah. uh, statement. Um, the grammar here indicates a fellowship or sharing that is brought about through the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and how do we have fellowship through the Spirit? Well, the Spirit is given to us, uh, and that, that occurs at uh, the, the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2. Uh, in fact, it is a key distinguishing difference between Israel and the church. Um, it is the Spirit that we are baptized into the body of Christ, uh, which is the church, 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen. It is through the Holy Spirit that we are regenerated, or as Paul says in Ephesians 2, we're made alive with Christ, uh, or as Jesus said in John 3, uh, we are born of the Spirit. 
um, it is through the Holy Spirit then that we share life in Jesus Christ. It's through the Spirit that we have a new and living hope. It's through the Spirit that we are set apart, not as objects of God's eternal wrath, but rather now as instruments for His glory. Uh, and so through the Spirit, our Father in heaven now delights in us. Um, like when He declared over His Son, you are my beloved Son with whom right. I am well pleased. If you're in Him, Father's now pleased Yep. by that virtue with you. Uh, so we are not only having fellowship or sharing in all that is Christ, but we also now have this unique fellowship through the Holy Spirit. Um, before I get into the fourth one, just so I can get rid of this from my brain, uh, the Old Testament lexicon is Browner, Drive, Driver, and Briggs. Yeah, BDB. Yeah. Right? But then what's Hallett? I don't know. Hallett lexicon. Hang on, folks. <laughs> We'll be right with you. Yeah, be, like this is really important to us. And <laughs> uh, Hebrew and Aramaic lexicon of the Old Testament, Hallett. There you go. You can all <laughs> sleep now. <laughs> At least we can. Okay, fourth, back to fellowship now. Uh, there is an intimacy of shared faith and hope through the gospel. And this comes uh, to us in 1 John 1, 3. In fact, the next few points is going to be here from this section. So here's what we see in 1 first John 1 verse 1 all the way down to verse 4. So listen, what is what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life. By the way, a fun little exercise for everyone is open up and read the first four verses and trace the pronouns. And who are the we, who is the you, who is the us? Um, because it, it, it's really enlightening if you'll do that. So um, concerning the word of life, verse 2, and the life was manifest and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. Why? So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. So that we, we proclaim in verse three is actually the main verb for those four verses. In other words, and, and you gotta listen careful to this to get it. The apostolic teaching and witness that began with Jesus Christ is what he, John, is reminding them that they had been taught. But that so that is so very important because it in, indicates then the purpose. Why did the apostles teach? Well, for this purpose, so that the apostles and those who would believe that message might together now have fellowship. We now share in that teaching. The same is true for Matt and I. Why do we preach the word to our people? So that we together with them might have fellowship and they with us because we now share I hope I'm making that clear. You think I am? That we now share that truth, that gospel, and it's common to us. And it's not a feeling. It's a set body of truth. And that's what the apostles did. We proclaim him so that you might have fellowship with us, just like we, the apostles, already have fellowship with God mm -hmm. and Christ. Yeah, so what kind of fellowship? What do we share our partner in? Notice then it is a fellowship 
that the apostles have with the Father and Son. And John wants to share that fellowship with us. This is actually a key reason you ought to be regularly gathering with other believers, meaning going to church, to have the word preached, to sing with one another, to remember the Lord's Supper and to pray together. All the, and all of it is a fellowship or a sharing in our common faith. Yeah. Uh, fifth, uh, this fellowship with God is not a mystical experience, but rather it is a genuine sharing in mission and motive with God, or flat out it is not true fellowship. So First John 1, 6, uh, he says this, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. That's very narrow-minded. <laughs> I, I, I like him. Uh, <laughs> By the way, this is the Apostle John, the Apostle of love. Right, right, yeah. Um, and what I like about this statement in particular, he does this over and over again. It's a sin, a great sin, I think, that especially the church in the West um, commits much of. He is constantly contrasting what we say with what we do. Yeah. So here he says, if we say we have fellowship with him, John would say that means literally nothing. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you say. He says, if you say that, yet you walk in the darkness, you lie. You ever think about what the apostles would say to the American church? I mean... I know, they'd be they'd be on the Roy's report. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the apostles would be, yeah. Yeah, yeah. for abuse of yeah. whatever. Um, we, <laughs> we, <laughs> that's, that's mean, but good. <laughs> um, so, so again, we may say that we have fellowship with God, and it, 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 people do that all the time, but true fellowship, it does impact our lives in a very radical way. A new life, um, but also a, a new Lord, um, forgiveness of sin, but also a new mission, as well as a new motive for life. That's now what you have. Uh, an unchanged life uh, is antithetical to a true and saving faith. This is because your faith finds its object and purpose in the person of Jesus Christ. You believe that he is what he is, which is Lord, therefore you follow him. Uh, but to instead have a life contrary to your Lord is simply to live a lie. You walk in darkness and not in the light of the gospel, or to put it in John's manner, you do not practice the truth. Um, so, so truth is not something that's just accepted. Uh, notice the language there. It's something that's acted upon. It's practiced. Uh, and Jesus is not just accepted, um, like you accept him into your heart or something. Rather, he is acted upon, or there is no faith or fellowship or sharing in the life of Christ. However, However. <laughs> yes, six, this fellowship, if truly embraced, brings us into practical fellowship with one another. This is the very next verse then, and it's 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So when we walk in the truth, we claim to believe, then we come into a very unique relationship and fellowship with one another. Why? Well, the reasons given in verse 7. John says that if we're walking in the light, then who is there? Well, Jesus is the one there. He is in the light because he is the light. And so are everyone else who walks in the light. I hope that can come out. I mean, it's picture your, well, never mind. Uh, I actually realized I got the illustration coming. 
Uh, therefore, everyone else who walks in the light of truth rather than the darkness of unbelief and disobedient is there too. So you might picture it as you uh, as you being somehow cast into some dense jungle or wilderness, and you're lost, and you're just stumbling about trying to find your way out, and in the process, you you break through the trees, and you find yourself on a path, and you begin to follow it, and as you go down that path, others start stumbling out onto the path as well, um, and the false ones just keep moving right back into the woods, right? But the others, they, they realize this is the path, and they start following it. And pretty soon, you all are walking down that path together. You now have fellowship because you're now sharing in the walking of that path. Well, turn that into we, we find Jesus and we, we believe and follow Jesus. And, and as we're going through our life, other people find Jesus. They believe. They start following him. And now we all share in that. But then there are serious consequences to this new fellowship that we have with God and one another. Uh, then seventh, uh, true fellowship rejects sharing or participating in anything that is contrary to the gospel. So 2 Corinthians 6.14, Paul says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? The passage here is dealing with a real issue of Christians who are sharing in things that are not consistent with Christ, uh, consistent with sound doctrine or true fellowship. And so this is why Paul uh, in verse 14 asks, what fellowship has light with darkness? Or in verse 15, what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or verse 16, what agreement has the temple of God, which is the church, with idols? Uh, Christians too often want a, a place at the table or the marketplace of ideas, uh, but this is often because they've slipped into thinking that the Christian faith is just one sort of one more idea of many that we can sit and discuss or treat um, other people or ideas equally. Uh, and the reality is you can't because they're not. Uh, the Christian faith claims exclusivity and superiority and utter ultimacy over everything else. Uh, so, uh, for example, this is why we reject hard uh, CRT. It's why we reject the whole social justice movement in the church. The same reason we reject psychological answers to sin issues. It's because, frankly, they're alternatives to the hope and answer that is bound up only in the gospel. Um, so they offer a false identity, and therefore we would say a false hope. And that, yeah, and I see it happen all the time. It's like we keep the gospel and we just keep adding these others. And Paul would just simply say, these are born out of a fallen worldview, and you're trying to have fellowship with them, and you can't. You can't mm -hmm. follow Christ and also follow these things. Invariably, those false things will take over. And that's what yes. you see in the history of the church is all of a sudden the social justice kind of stuff becomes big, and you turn into the United Methodist Church yeah. because you lose the gospel. You can't keep them. Well, um, even the example here of— um using, you know, sort of psychological approaches right. to dealing with sin issues, what they'll do is they'll add that right on top of the Bible. Word, word, fancy technical word for it is integration. Another word for just saying fellowship. Yeah. You're, you're marrying or That's bringing together, integrating, fellowshipping these two ideas. And we see it time and time again, what becomes dominant is the psychology 
over and against yeah. typically and, scripture. And that psychology really in the 60s became the big thing. Only older people will know about who Dr. Spock is, but um, he would he pr- uh, began to provide a psychological approach to parenting and um, and what we have now today is a result of junk that we, that was just starting. And back in that day, the that whole world, it was the integrationist movement of, hey, we can learn. All truth is God's truth, and we start pulling all this stuff. But what you have now is today, uh, churches are really reluctant to say that you cannot be a homosexual and a Christian. And I just finished a book that you've read earlier uh, where the guy is claiming to be a gay Christian, and pushing for that, but his arguments are all out of philosophy and psychology, not out of Scripture. Um, and that's what we're getting at: is true fellowship um, can't you can't mix. Uh, I, I just believe America, American Christians, really think we can just get along, and they don't realize in the long run you can't. Anyhow, eighth. Genuine Christian fellowship is sharing or participating in the needs of the gospel and the fellowship of believers. So in Acts 2.44 and following, you, you find the early church then living this out. How? They sold off property and possessions as financial needs arose among other believers. So it says in verse 44 that they had all things in common. That little word, common, is where we get the word koinonia. It's a sharing, even in our wealth, to those believers who had real needs. So this is how it works out with Paul. He brings it up in Philippians uh, chapter 1, 4, and 5. He says, always offering prayer with joy, uh, talking of the Philippian believers, that they were always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer, or he's praying for them. I'll try it again. Paul was always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation, that's the word fellowship, in the gospel from the first day until now. Well, Paul brings the Philippians into something deeper than mere friendship, no matter how good that might be. He said that their connection was one that operated around God's work in this world. And what they were doing is they were actually supporting him and his mission in in, in a financial way. Right now he's in prison and they're caring for him by sending money. Um, and so it, it works around God's work in this world as they gave money and supported Paul's labors for the gospel and in his imprisonment, they were actually having fellowship with him, which is kind of cool again. Um, note the time frame. He says, from the first day until now. So they brought into his work from, they bought into his work from the start. It did not lag after a period of time. Their support was constant. Also, there was no distinction between what he was doing and their work. Paul saw them in fellowship with him and his labors. And and this actually becomes good news if you get it, because not everyone is good at evangelizing or being a traveling missionary or a church planter, yet everyone can participate in the thrusting forth of the gospel. I even think about that as two pastors, we receive our soul support from the church. Mm-hmm. And some people are like, well, they feel like maybe they're second class, but it's like literally as you give, it supports me in what I'm doing, which is the preaching forth of the gospel and and the word. Um, and they actually share that. They're, there's actually a fellowship in those labors, even if they're not gifted or called by God to do those things. Um, 
So the point here is to understand that this fellowship here is something far more profound than just enjoying each other's company. It involves a common work or a common goal goal in which there is a genuine participation, actually with money. And so if you're to maintain a true fault fellowship as Paul defines it, it's to be in view of that common cause of the gospel going forward. And a simple way this is done is through giving. Through giving to the work of the gospel, you are now in fellowship with all who are in the front lines of that work. Yeah. So there you have it. Uh, eight different aspects to true fellowship that if grasped and lived out uh, will be a genuine motivation for your spiritual walk. Um, so we hope you enjoyed this. Uh, and if you did so, then please tell a friend. Uh, we get absolutely nothing financial out of this. Uh, rather, we're just two men trying to be of genuine help to our church members, uh, and then hopefully a little bit the church at large. Uh, so we try to produce content that lasts rather than uh, only talks about issues that are passing. Um, so keep listening, and uh, we hope to talk to you soon. Make sure to tune in, join the conversation. Don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, review. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and tell a friend. Thank you.